Fossils of plants and animals show powerful evidence for a recent creation. At the same time, many fossils give a great challenge to the concept of evolution in millions of years. Fossils and Creation, today on Creation Magazine Live. Welcome to another audio podcast from your friends at CMI. Faith-building evidences for the accuracy of the Bible are coming right up. Welcome to Creation Magazine Live. My name is Calvin Smith. And I'm Richard Fangrad. And today we're going to talk about fossils. Yes. And uh, usually when people think of fossils, they equate them with evolution. Yes. In, in yeah. a sense, right? All over I, the place. I, I remember seeing one skeptic uh, t-shirt. It says, we have the fossils, we win. <laughs> it, was, it was like that, that simple okay. in his mind. Um, but anyway, what we're going to look at today is uh, the nature of the fossil record. And what you're going to see is it actually fits in quite well with what the Bible talks about, about a global flood. It does. It does fit well. But before we get to the fossils, let's think about how fossils relate to Christianity. Fossils are dead things. And uh, if, we, if we think of death, well, death entered the world as a result of sin, the Bible says. So um, if fossils are dead things, then Christ dies to pay for sin. We have a link between sin and death there. Right. Uh, that was established back in Genesis. Death was supposed to come into the world as a result of sin. Right. Now, fossils are dead things. Right. So, uh, you know, when we look at some key passages in Scripture, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, through, uh, through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. So Adam brought death into the world through sin. And, you know, uh, verses like Genesis one twenty nine and 30, when you look at them, it says that when God gave commands about what everything was to eat in the beginning, everything was eating plants. And yet in the fossil record, we find records of creatures killing one another. So if the fossils got laid down before Adam's sin, we've got death before sin. This is a huge challenge to our theology. We've discussed this many times. Yes, on many uh, different on the programs. Yeah. And, and even if you try to get around it by saying, well, you know, Romans 5.12 is talking about uh, just people, death. The fossil record, uh, according to evolutionists, we've got people that were... Uh, true you know, humans. True humans. Yep. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years before... Adam sinned. There's no way you can fit over 100,000 years, you know, somehow into the biblical chronology. So it just doesn't work. Um, you can go to creation.com slash billions and uh, it, it'll um, give you a good article that really, really gets into the meat and potatoes of that and why these... The idea of fossils being millions of years old just doesn't fit with the Bible. Right. Yeah, there's, there's lots there. Now, most people think a fossil, an impression, a cast, an outline, a remnant, a track of an animal or plant must be millions of years old because it's been turned to stone. The organic material has been replaced with minerals, and that right. happens over a long period of time. Right, but, you know, evolutionists like Dr. Phil Curry, for example, uh, he, he said things like this, bones do not have to be turned into stone to be fossils, and usually most of the original bone is still present in a dinosaur fossil. Now, he's an evolutionist, but he's studied dinosaurs and fossils to a great degree. Yes, right. do we have any examples of that? Right. Uh, of so something that, obviously, Dr. Curry has, has thought of examples. Well, yes, yeah. we do. We have uh, MOR555 here. This is nicknamed uh, Wankel Rex after <laughs> its discoverer, Kathy Wankel. It's a 90%, 90 complete, very, very complete, right. Tyrannosaurus fossil. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dr. Mary Schweitzer, a famous paleontologist, has described it this way. An exceptionally well-preserved specimen of the Tyrannosaurid dinosaur, Tyrannosaurus rex, shows little evidence of permineralization or other diagenetic effects. Most fossils show signs of sediment infilling or secondary mineral deposition, but certain specimens can show little evidence of diagenic change. What does diagenic mean? Here we've got a dictionary <laughs> definition. 
the sum of the physical, chemical, and biological changes that take place in sediments as they become consolidated into rocks, including compaction, cementation, but excluding weathering and metamorphic changes. Right, so in other words, MORF555 is a well-preserved fossil with almost no mineral petrification. It's nearly pure bone. And, yes. and, and Dr. Curry gives another example of this when, when uh, he says dinosaurs in Alberta, Canada were encased in ironstone nodules shortly after being buried, and he, and he says this, the nodules prevented water from invading the bones, which for all intents and purposes cannot be distinguished from modern bone. So wait a sec, we've got <laughs> dinosaur bone that can't be distinguished from modern bone. The natural conclusion is that it is modern bone. If that's, the, that's the natural conclusion, that, that's right. But of course, dinosaurs are supposed to have lived, for, uh, lived millions of years ago and According died millions of years ago. Yeah. But in, in this particular case that Dr. Curry talks about here, there's, the water has been prevented from entering the bones. Mm -hmm. So there's, but where the dinosaur bone uh, has been prevented from being permineralized, one would expect um, that that over millions of years, even if it was locked away from any kind of bacterial activity or anything like that, it, it, just the laws of thermodynamics would say it would have disintegrated. Absolutely, yet, would break down the bone. That's right, and yet there they are. Uh, bone looks like modern bone in dinosaurs supposedly 60 million years old. Now here's a fossil, here's a definition of what a fossil is from the uh, American Geological Institute. The remains of traces of animals or plants which have been preserved by natural causes in the earth crust. Sounds All good right. to me. So far so good. Yep. But uh, interestingly that's not where the definition ends. Have a look at this. <laughs> Exclusive of organisms which have been buried since the beginning of historic time. <laughs> so this is a very self-serving definition because then that, what's that mean from the creationist viewpoint? There, There's no such thing as a fossil. There aren't any fossils. I mean, and I've actually seen people kind of argue this way. And, and it's like, well, we're going to define something this way that excludes you and then the fossils prove that you're wrong. It's like, yeah. what does you, that you, mean? You, I mean, most fossils are a result of of Noah's flood. That's what creationists would believe, right? So uh, that was certainly within historic time. Sure. And, and uh, you know, if you want to see a, a, an article just talking more about this, it's called A Fossil is a Fossil is a Fossil, right? And you can find that at creation.com slash fossil uh, for more information. But uh, the remains of living things can become fossilized in a short period of time. Even evolutionists admit that. Yes. Dr. Phil Curry, who's a famous, uh, he's not a creationist, he's an evolutionist, he said this, the amount of time that it takes for a bone to become completely permineralized or, or fossilized is highly variable. If the groundwater is heavily laden with minerals in solution, the process can happen rapidly. Modern bones that fall into mineral springs can become permineralized within a matter of weeks. The preservation of soft tissues in some dinosaurs also suggests that, under exceptional circumstances, fossilization can occur within days. Here you go. <laughs> Incredible. So, so actually, Dr. Curry's research indicates that the definition from the American Geological Institute is actually incorrect. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. Now, here we have an example. Here, here's, here's an interesting here's, example. Yeah, yeah. Th there's, there's a really interesting fossil. Um, it's actually a teddy bear fossil. <laughs> they lived millions of years ago. Um, it's been completely encased in rock. It's yep. obviously not millions of years old. And this comes from uh, Nairsbro. And that's a, a town some 21 kilometers uh, or 13 miles west of York, England. And, and there's a small waterfall there called the Petrifying Well, or the Dripping Well. And it, it's been a tourist attraction since uh, 1630. Its water originates underground and has high mineral content. 
As the water splashes onto the hanging objects that you can see here, the mineral uh, calcite, the calcium carbonate, is deposited along with small amounts of other minerals. Gradually, these deposits build up and coat the object with a crust of rock. The time needed for petrification depends on the size and porosity of the object. Small teddy bears like this take between three and five months. Now, now here the rock is formed on the surface of the bear. It hasn't penetrated very much inside, but in other fossils, mineral deposits uh, inside mineral deposits normally inside the bone. Yep. And uh, but that's not always the case, as we've seen. Sometimes mineral minerals are prevented from entering the bones. Mm -hmm. uh, now, for more information on these teddy bears, you can go to creation.com/teddy <laughs> and uh, and and see more information there. Now, another startling example of unfossilized dinosaur bones uh, comes from Alaska, and Dr. Phil Curry uh, describes the find like this. He says, an even more spectacular example was found on the north shore of Alaska, where many thousands of bones lack any significant degree of permineralization. The bones look and feel like old cow bones, and the discoverers of the site did not report it for 20 years because they assumed they were bison, not dinosaur bones. Incredible. So we've got several examples here uh, uh, highlighted by evolutionary paleontologists right. of unfossilized dinosaur bones. Right. It, incredible. So, so according to what most, most evolutionists teach and what most people have understood, you know, let's just summarize here. According to Dr. Phil Curry, according to Dr. Mary Schweitzer, famous evolutionary paleontologist, yes. most fossil dinosaur bones still contain the original bone. Unfossilized dinosaur bones are sometimes found looking and feeling like fresh bones. Even when heavy per, uh, heavily permineralized, fossilized, this does not uh, need to require more than a few weeks. So the creation fossil uh, uh, flood scenario for, for fossilization would allow, you know, many centuries for per permineralization to happen. I mean, this, this totally supports what the Bible says. It fits very well yeah. with the Bible's history, with what the Bible tells us about when God created about a global flood, which would be perfect conditions for fossilizing things and for more minerals in the water and, and right. those conditions that Dr. Curry was talking about. Now, here's a really interesting information. In 1999 in Peru, 346 whales were found within a 1.5 kilometer squared, which is like 370 acre area buried in an 80 meter, which is 260 feet, uh, thick layer of sedimentary rock called diatomite. That's in the Pisco uh, formation, they, they yeah, call in Peru. it. Here, here's a, a definition of diatomite. Diatomite is known as diatomaceous earth. It is naturally occurring, uh, naturally occurring fossilized remains of diatoms. Diatoms are single-celled aquatic algae. These are plants. These microscopic algae have the capability of extracting silica from the water to produce their skeletal structure. Diatomite is a nearly pure sedimentary deposit consisting almost entirely of silica. The Greeks first used diatomite over 2,000 years ago in pottery and brick. Right. Now, if, if you missed that from the data here, this is almost a whale per, uh, per acre. Uh, you know, 346 whales, 370 uh, you know acres. So a whale per acre buried in a two, 260 foot of, uh, of, of layers. Dead plants. Right. <laughs> now today when diatoms die, their silica skeletons accumulate on the ocean floor. And uh, one gram of uh, diatomite may contain up to 400 million uh, skeletons. So we're talking about a lot of dead uh, plants here. Dead little guys, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now uh, here are what uh, living diatoms look like under the microscope. 
And uh, diatomite sediment normally accumulates slowly. Only a few centimeters per thousand years is what we can measure, right? And uh, even when the rate is higher, such as in some shallow water areas, accumulation is still slow. For example, in the fords of British Columbia, diatoms and clay accumulate at about 2.5 up to 5 um, millimeters per year. So that's 0.2 inches. It's still not a, a great rate. So the that's question is... How it builds up today, yeah. How'd you get all that stuff there? And also, when, when whales die... Uh, when, when a whale carcass sinks to the bottom, it's, it's scavenged and, and the scavengers attack and colonize the, 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 the rotting flesh. Right. And in their quest for food, the scavengers will churn up the surrounding sediment. Right. However, in Peru, the fossilized whales and diatoms were well preserved and the whale skeletons are mostly intact. So that there's no evidence of normal decay, you know, wormholes, barnacle incrustations, right. or you know, just general degradation uh, overall. So neither was there any sign that, uh, that organisms had, you know, stirred up the, the, the sediment or anything like that. Um, the question becomes, how could that happen under naturalistic... Uh, you know, normal conditions, I guess we could Slow say. burial. Slow yeah. burial. That's, yeah. you know. uh, in, in addition to that, the whale skeletons were partially mineralized, mineralized and baleen from five of the whales was actually preserved. Baleen forms a comb-like structure in, the, in a whale's mouth that you can see here that filters its food. This is remarkable because it's softer than bone. It's, it's basically the consistency of, yes. our, of our fingernails. It's that yeah. type of material. Exactly. So there's no doubt that these uh, well-preserved whales in two in, in, in diatomite uh, indicate rapid burial, not slow uh, slow burial, and that contradicts one of the ruling principles of modern geology, which is uniformitarianism, right? Right. That yep. the rocks formed slowly in the past, similar to what we observe in the present, and uh, interpreted according to that principle, the whales were buried over a period of two million years ago, uh, two million years, about ten million years ago. It took two million years to to build. The, it's the, not going to work, right? It doesn't work. Yeah, it, certainly the baleen wouldn't have survived. The, no. the, the carcasses wouldn't be intact. They'd be disarticulated. They wouldn't still all be together. Most of them are articulated skeletons. They're still, yeah. All the bones are still attached to each other. And the, and the fact that 80 meters of sediment buried 346 whales <laughs> within months or weeks uh, creates a problem for those who believe in millions of years. So you, you look at it the other way, right? Yeah. So where do yeah. you put the time? There's nowhere like to a, put it a, in the rocks. A whale graveyard is... is, is is a far more adequate explanation. It fits within a biblical time scale. These whales were killed. There was some kind of a mass kill event. Uh, in addition, the team found other sea creatures with these whales. They found uh, in the deposit sharks, fish, turtles, seals, and porpoises, and land animals such as ground sloths and penguins. <laughs> so go figure. <laughs> right, and there's another puzzle for evolutionists, of it, it course. It is, yeah. So 346 well-preserved fossil whales found in Peru. It graphically illustrates the accuracy of biblical history when you, yes. when you really yeah. think about it. And this remarkable find, uh, find points to a rapid catastrophic burial. It's consistent with the time frame of the Bible, um, which is a time frame covering thousands of years, not millions of years. So again, right. you go into the field, what does it show? supports what the Bible says. Now most people assume or they, they perceive, they think that the fossil record is mostly you know dinosaurs and vertebrate animals and so on. <laughs> well that's but the exciting the, stuff. The, yeah that's the exciting stuff but the composition is actually quite different from what we are led to believe. Yeah here's an actual breakdown of the fossil record or an estimate of it anyway. Uh, they say that 95 percent of the fossil record consists of shallow marine organisms such as corals and shellfish things like that. 95 percent? 95 percent. Yeah. Of the remaining five percent, 95 percent are uh, the algae in plant, tree fossils, including vegetation that now makes up the trillions of tons of coal um, and all the other invertebrate fossils, which would include insects, etc. Um, 
Then vertebrates, uh, 5% of 5%, which is 0.25% <laughs> of the entire fossil record, that includes fish, amphibians, reptiles, birds, mammals, and other dino and dinosaurs. So, so that's a quarter percent. A, that's a very small percent that, that wow. those things are yep. represented in. And of that, um, you, you've only got 1% of that, uh, 0.0025%, that are vertebrate fossils that consist of more than a single bone. That's why it's so exciting if you go out and you find a T-Rex and it's you know fully yeah. articulated or, or you yeah. know most of the bones yeah. are there. I think they've got maybe 12 or 13, you know very complete T-Rexes around the world. That's why it's such a big deal, because right. you don't generally find that much, uh, that much stuff left. But the, the fossil record is, is uh, it's primarily a record of marine organisms, and the flood was a marine catastrophe. Right. The fossils are a good sort of result of a marine catastrophe like the flood. Yeah, you can go to creation.com slash human fossils, human dash fossils, to, uh, to get some understanding too. Uh, people often have the question, well, what about the human fossils. As we can see, even finding a fossil with more than one bone is a big deal. But anyway, uh, you can go there for more information on that. Now, most of you will probably be familiar with something like this. It's the geologic timescale, a geologic column. And you can see here uh, different different ages of things uh, depending on the fossils. The rocks have been, dis been assigned different ages. And the thing is, there's nowhere in the world where you can find a complete geologic column. People think, well, I saw this in a textbook. I must be able to go out and dig in my backyard and I'd find this sequence of rocks right. exactly as you see there, but that's not, uh, that's not what we find. That's right. In many cases, we can examine what scientists have discovered, and it, it actually fits very neatly into biblical history, uh, as we can see um, from the fossils that we've been talking about here earlier. But with uh, the geologic column, it's not that easy. Uh, some creationists doubt that it even exists at all, right? Yep. <laughs> and uh, um, but most would agree that there's certainly uh, a sequence to the fossil record. We'd say there's a general uh, a pattern to, yes. the, to the fossil record. It's, it's not completely random, which is kind of what you'd expect We'd if expect there'd been a global a flood. flood. Right, because yep. moving water has a tremendous ability to sort things by size, by shape, and by buoyancy. So right. we'd expect certain grain sizes to be all sorted together if there was you know, continent-wide flooding and, and water moving over the continents. And you would certainly accept, uh, uh, expect that the uh, organisms that would get buried quickly would be the, the things that are already in the oceans and things that can't move real quickly. So clams don't run real fast, and they're there, and so that's what would have been buried first. You'd expect that general pattern with the sorting and stuff. Now, what does, doesn't seem possible, however, is, is to take the geologic column that we see in textbooks that don't, doesn't exist in reality anyway, uh, not, not completely, and, and simply trying to compress that to fit into what, you know, what the, the flood, it, it's pretty yeah. hard to just make this exact comparison. There's no one-to-one right? -one comparison. Okay, the Cretaceous is always, it happened here in the flood or whatever. There's nothing like right. that. But Now, uh, Dr. Taz Walker, a geologist on staff with our Australian office yes. of CMI, he's actually developed a, a geologic model to, to help Christians really understand the Earth's rocks and, and what we're actually looking at here. So. Right. Now, this model is summarized by a couple of charts, and you can uh, we've got printouts here. You can go to biblicalgeology.net and print out these charts. Uh, now, starting with uh, page one there on the right-hand side, you can see the time scale. And that starts with creation at the bottom, and then that's a short time period, and then a larger area there pre-flood, where not a lot of geology happened, there's not much going on. Then the flood is another short time frame, about a year long. And then after that, a lot of time going from the flood until now, basically, where, again, very little geology has happened. Right. Now, if you move over to the next section, you can see the rock scale, which shows a basic biblical geolo geologic column, and roughly the volume of rock produced at each stage. So if you begin at the bottom, 
bottom with the primordial phase, um, note that the scale uh, extends right to the center of the earth. And this is the huge amount of rock that was supernaturally created by God, either initially uh, covered with water on day one or created on day three. And, and then you see the ensuing, the derivative, the biotic, um, and, and they relate to the geologic activity happening during the creation week, of course. Right. And on page two, you can see the description of some of those layers there. And that's a good kind of summary of, of a creationist, a flood-based understanding of the rocks. And we encourage you to go to that website, biblicalgeology.net. And given the biblical history, we can see, uh, we, we can understand how animals can be buried quickly and, uh, and preserving them in the way we find them today. Well, welcome back to Creation Magazine Live. Here we're going to be discussing some feedback that we, we received from an article that was written. Uh, um, Gary Bates had written an article called, Did God Create Life on Other Planets? And this person wrote in. And uh, it sounded like they were kind of struggling to understand how Bible and science could fit together or sort perhaps, of. perhaps not <laughs> trying hard enough. But anyway, uh, here's what the person said. The more I read the Bible and try to rationalize what's in it there with what science is discovering about the, our universe, the harder it is to believe in the book. And we can just pause right there and say, well, okay, he, he, here's the first problem. His definition of science really is naturalism. Right. Uh, and, and if you're going to take the definition, that, if you're going to say, well, everything is natural, then of course it's going to disagree with creation because creation involves the supernatural. Right. So you're not going to have a harmonization there if you've excluded supernatural uh, um, explanations for how the universe could have got here in the first place. Right. As a matter of fact, even to say something like, you know, science disagrees with what's in God's book, really what you're saying is, I've accepted secular interpretations of facts that have been interpreted as evidence for evolution. And, and it and is that, an interpretation. That's right. That's the thing. And that contradicts what the Bible says. Right. Ooh, yeah. But you can take those <laughs> facts and you in, can interpret them uh, in a better way and, and, and produce evidence that's actually in support of the Bible. So right. just don't go into the enemy's camp and, and take what they're, they're feeding you, so to speak. Yeah. He said, I wish God would come back down to earth and just clarify everything up for humanity. Yeah, well, here, here's Gary's response. He did already and explained yeah. it to us in his book, The Bible. <laughs> exactly. It seems that rejecting the Bible because of your science, so-called, is preventing you from seeing the big picture of the marvelous gospel that the Bible is all about. I actually went down and, and <laughs> sat with a group of atheists one time, and I asked one of the atheists on this panel, I said, what, what would prove, you know, what would you accept as proof that, you know, and he said, well, if, you know, if somebody came back to life. And I nearly fell back in my chair because I was like, <laughs> um... <laughs> Isn't that the whole, you know, Jesus came back to life. That's, yeah. that's the kind of thing. But you see, in a sense, this person, it, it, it's, it's almost like you read the letter and it's like, are you really trying that hard to hold on to your faith? Do you really want answers to this question or are you just looking to right, nitpick? And, right. and yeah. You know, and, and, and then he said, you know, his book is so old. This is one of the comments from... Yes, his book is so old. And Gary's yeah. response was, that's a good thing. It's a strength of it, not a bad thing. Yeah. Because it tells us about history, about our origins, uh, what went wrong. Uh, Gary says, it's interesting, too, that the Bible has been described as the most accurate historical book ever written when it comes to archaeology. For example, see The Walls of Jericho. And you can do a search on The Walls of Jericho yeah. and uh, get that article. So if one can verify such historical claims in one area to be true, then it might be a good reason to accept its historical claims in other areas, like origins, for example. Right. So again, if you really want to you know, uphold uh, 
your faith or, or you know, get information about how to do that. The first thing you have to understand is not to accept interpretations that are, are specifically designed in a way to counteract what the Bible clearly says. Right. A naturalistic, evolutionary uh, time frame. So anyway, hopefully that was uh, helpful to you, and we'll see you next time on Creation Magazine Live. Today's episode was originally formatted for broadcast TV and is available online at the links in the podcast show notes. Both are produced by Creation Ministries International, publishers of Creation Magazine. For more information for the accuracy of the Bible, visit creation.com. You can also donate to the ministry at creation.com slash donate. And thanks for listening.